cover to cover, it is one recitation, one reading. Okay. We're able to partialize and read certain surahs and ayat over 27 nights or every day or whichever way we recite but the word Kalamullah refers to the whole speech which is from Fatiha to Surah Al-Nas that's the whole Quran, that is one speech mm. so we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is there expressed in the words of the Quran and the Quran then tells us and informs us of Allah's will, Allah's irada, Allah's intent. The Quran tells us Allah's murad, Allah's will, Allah's intent. What does Allah want us to do? How does He want us to believe? How does He want us to act and react? And how does He want us to behave? And how does He want us to think? This is what the Quran is. So in this sense, the Qur'an is a guidance for human beings. There's so much discussion in the Qur'an that it is beyond any calculation. Beyond any calculation. There's so much there that we <coughs> can derive from the Qur'an and so on. But just in a brief summary today, I would like to introduce to you certain theories and themes of the Qur'an so that we are uh, accustomed to some of the discussions the Qur'an has. Usually uh, people don't take too much to the Qur'an, they really want hadith or if they're not into hadith they're into fiqh or if they're not into fiqh they're just about Maulana is this meat halal? That's the extent of the Islamic learning. So you want to do much more than that. Okay? The Qur'an is supra-intellectual. You understand? It's not intellectual. It is supra-intellectual. It is beyond our intellect. And Muslims must appreciate this aqidah. Allah created human intellect. So it is beyond human intellect. Once you realize that the Quran is beyond human intellect, then this is the communique that Allah through his fadl, his karam, his jud, his rahmah, is saying that I'm going to reveal to you something that is beyond your intellect. It is beyond your rationale. It is beyond your perception. It is beyond your conception. But yet, you'll be able to recite it and you'll be able to understand some of it. This is Allah's fadl. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who is an nabiyul ummi. He never read, he never wrote. He chose the unlettered Nabi to carry his word. But he didn't go to school. He didn't have a pen and paper and a book. He didn't have a formal education. But he was chosen. 
by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to receive this final communication from Allah Almighty to human beings, to mankind as a gift, as a fadl, as a rahmah, as a grace so that if you want to align your thoughts with anyone or any idea or any philosophy, any concept then you align them with the Qur'an if you have an idea and the Qur'an verifies the idea there you are on the right path but if you have an idea and the Qur'an doesn't verify your idea then you're on the wrong path that is the test in this day of science, technology and knowledge and the explosion of knowledge and access to knowledge and information and the internet and everything else people have weird ideas right? we have a lot of weirdos in the world people have weird ideas and Muslims are not immune from weird ideas there are many Muslims who have many weird ideas about life about Islam about the Quran about the Prophet so those ideas must align with what the Quran says so our ideas are not the referee the Quran is the referee and our ideas they are judged by the referee who is the Quran that is called what? it's called submission and what does Islam mean? submission Islam doesn't mean peace that's just a fad uh, the, the, these political workers and community service workers they've invented this myth called Islam means peace, doesn't mean peace has nothing to do with it Islam means submission you submit to the will of Allah that's what Islam means huh? so what do you do? you have an idea the idea goes against the Qur'an you submit to the Qur'an, that is your Islam then you are Muslim if you don't submit your mind and your idea and your theory and your philosophy to the Qur'an you're not a Muslim then you're a heretic it doesn't matter what it is, whether it has to do with culture, lifestyle, with your diet it has to do with ibadat it has to do with philosophy, it has to do with the worldview, or anything. The point is that Allah is our judge, Maliki Yawmiddin. He is the owner of the day of judgment. So you have a day of judgment where everyone's being judged. Who owns that day? Allah. Allah owns the day when everyone will be judged. Allah subhanahu wa says to the Bani Israel about the Bani Israel Then Allah will judge amongst them 
Allah says to the Bani Israel, Allah will judge them on the day of judgment in whatever they differed. They will be judged. One will be right and the other will be wrong. Allah will be the judge. Allah is the best of judges, so He will judge their theories, their ideas, their philosophies, their worldviews, their aqeedah, and He will say, You are right and you are wrong. This is for the Banu Israel. Muslims, when they receive the Quran, they must see the Quran as a referee. Not as something that you need to judge yourself. If there's an eye of the Quran, they say, I don't agree with this eye. If you say that, you're not a Muslim. You do know that, right? If there's an eye of the Quran, and you say, I don't believe this, then you're not a Muslim. You're kafir. Period. No discussion. Unless you submit your intellect to wahi, to the Quran, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're not a Muslim because Islam means submission. You submit to the will of Allah, this is the will of Allah, and you submit. Imam Shafi, rahimullah, said that there are several reasons why revelation came. And there are many purposes of revelation. One purpose, he says, is to test the servants of Allah as to whether or not they submit their intellect. Allah says, he is like this, so he's like that. Allah says, Jannah exists, so Jannah exists. Allah says, Allah created Adam from dirt. So that's what he did. Why are you discussing that? Oh no, it's possible. It means there's no it's possible. It means what it says. It's very clear. If Allah says that there is life after death, then there's life after death. Allah says that there's a barzakh, a waiting period between now and the day of judgment. So you have a waiting period, which is the world of your graves. You have to believe. If Allah says there's punishment possible for those who disbelieve, then there's punishment. So, well, why does Allah do that? Says, well, you're not God. Why are you questioning God why He would punish or not punish? Okay, so you're being the referee. You're allowing your intellect to judge what the Quran is saying. You can't do that. <laughs> Allah is Rahim, Kareem, Rahman, Merciful. Why does He punish? Well, I have a simple answer. You won't like it, but you can ask Him when you meet Him. Right? Don't ask me. This is what the Quran says that there is possible punishment. Jahannam does exist, hell does exist. So I have two choices. Either I believe and I prepare for that so I, I, I avoid the punishment or I don't believe. Which one is safer? There's only one path that's safer or safe, period. 
and that is the path of belief and that is guidance that is your submission to Allah so there are certain ayat of the Quran that are straightforward and we may understand through the Arabic and perhaps sometimes through straightforward translation what the intent of Allah is Allah says Allah say Allah is one and it is straightforward he is indivisible you cannot partialize God into one or two or three or many he is indivisible he is, he is alone he is unique that's Tawheed very straightforward and that's the message of Tawheed the Quran says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Musa and Isa and Ibrahim and Muhammad and Nuh so he revealed to them very straightforward whether you learn from the Arabic or the translation it's straightforward so what do we do? We believe Allah revealed to all these prophets. Revelation came from Allah to these prophets. So we believe in the revelation, we believe in the prophets. Straightforward. But there are certain ayat of the Quran that are not straightforward. And the Quran says so. The Quran says they're not straightforward. Can you believe that? Yes? No? <laughs> yeah. Some of you are in IT, mashallah. You learn languages, right? The Quran is a language. And there's a key to the language. The key to that language is Arabic. Without the key, you can't open it. Period. Yeah like in your industries and your fields. So you have keys and you have codes and all that, which I know nothing of. So, what we are saying is that there are ayat in the Qur'an that are straightforward and there are ayat in the Qur'an that are not straightforward. So what do you do with those? Do you entertain your mind and say, okay, let me speculate here, speculate, I'll just speculate. Maybe it means this, maybe it means this. So we say, don't speculate. Allah doesn't like speculation. All they do is follow speculation. And speculation will not avail the truth any. The Quran says. So you can't speculate. Then how do you get to the meaning? Say, well, first of all, you have to acknowledge what Imam Shafi is saying. That is a test. That maybe I'm not capable of understanding this ayah at this moment. And let me relax and let me submit. Let me acquiesce. Let me resign. Let me appreciate that I am a nobody. Allah is everything. Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater than me, my mind, my intellect, my fantasies. Allah is greater. So am I poking my head where it doesn't belong? It doesn't belong there. Oh, but I can understand this language and that language. And I can understand physics and chemistry and economics and nuclear science and rocket science. And I can do everything in the world. But Baba, you don't understand this language. Is a totally different language is not meant for you to understand immediately those ayat that are not easily understandable 
they are for learning. You have to learn about them, you have to learn the language, you have to learn in the context of the Qur'an what they mean. And did you know that there are some ayat in the Qur'an that nobody knows the meaning of? Did you know that? They said the Qur'an is guidance for all mankind, let's take the Qur'an and then preach the Qur'an to everybody in the world. So here again, then you ask, see there's a group of scholars in the past who were called the group of the Mu'tazili. And their approach was, Allah reveals the Qur'an for us to understand, so we must understand everything. Now, having said that, they didn't say that everybody on the planet can understand. They said those who have the tools to understand will understand. So they are very specialists about it. They didn't say that anybody who comes to the masjid for Friday khutbah will be able to understand the Qur'an. They didn't say that. They said you have to learn. So even they believed in learning. Even they had rules of interpretation. They were called the Mu'tazili. So they said that Allah speaks to us so we must be able to understand what Allah is saying because that's the meaning of a speech. The Sunnis say that is correct to a point but it's not correct all the time. Sometimes the human intellect fails. And just because the human intellect fails doesn't mean to say life doesn't go on. Does it? Life still functions. How many of us here knows how the, uh, this silly thing called the smartphone? I don't have any of them. I gave it to somebody. The smartphone. How, how many of us know how that thing works? Very few. But are you able to use it? Sure. It's part of our lives. It's more dear to us than our wives and our children. And our husbands, we are glued to it, but we don't know a thing about how it works. Likewise, Islam, you must use even though you may not understand everything about how it works. The Quran you must believe in even though you don't know how it works. That's called life. So there are many things in life we don't know. But as a function of life we use this utility, this benefit. And we do everything. Even though we don't know anything. Very few of us know how the car works. The beautiful cars we have, mashallah, Allah give us all barakah. Some of these luxury cars, we don't know a thing about what goes inside the car. All we do is start the engine. Nowadays we don't need, even need a key, you just push a button. And it works. Do you know the mechanics behind it? No, I don't know the physics behind it. Maybe the mechanic does, but I don't. And I don't need to in order to make it work. So likewise, we must not 
go to this very petty, foolish, childish understanding that I need to know everything about the Quran and Islam before I make it part of my life. That's not submission. That's not how the Sahaba did it. So what I'm saying is that there are some ayat in the Quran that are very clear, straightforward. You may understand them very clearly even from a translation. And there are some ayat in the Quran that need attention and training. Seven years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, whatever. They're called the ulama, the scholars. You have to be trained at least 7, 10, 15 years before you can say, I know something about Islam. You can't read an article on the internet and say, no, I know everything about Islam now. It doesn't work. This country doesn't work this way. This country, the country that you live in, doesn't work on this idea that you can read an article and become a specialist in that field overnight. Does it? No. To gain a master's degree, this is post high school, you need seven years, six years. Allah, Allah, Allah. In order to be a doctor, you need how many years? A decade? At least. Before you can say, I know something about the human body. And here you are, you want to say, I know how to take care of my akhirah by reading one article on the internet and I can give a khutbah about it and I'm now the greatest khatib on the planet because I read that article. Doesn't work that way. Islam is not that cheap. As I said, the Quran is supra-intellectual. You cannot relegate the Quran to the gutters by allowing people to talk about the Quran and Sunnah and Hadith when they know nothing about it. It's a dereliction of duty, it is an injustice to Islam that you let those people talk in the masjid about those things. That is the fault of the people who run the masajid and then take care of the khatibs and the khutbah. We must show it's okay. Overload. What would uh, mashallah Muslim function be without a microphone issue? <laughs> so my plea to you is don't First of all, you can't learn anything from a jahil anyway. Don't take your Islam from someone who is unqualified, someone who has not spent six, seven years studying. Don't take your Islam from those people. It is like going to a quack for your body. It's like going to an untrained mechanic for your car. It's like going to somebody who is not trained in finance for your financial advice. You don't do that in the dunya. Why do you do it in the akhirah? And for the akhirah. Oh, this guy is good. He speaks well. Therefore, he must know Islam. And he gives the greatest fatwa. Every food is halal. <laughs> he must be great. All the other Maulis, they say everything is halal. 
And this one here, he stands up because he has now halalified everything under the sun. He must be good. He's progressive. You can't do that. Allah will capture you. Don't spoil your akhirah because you want to listen to somebody who is untrained. Make sure you know that person's credentials. First, just as when you employ a medical doctor or a dentist or a mechanic or anybody, even if that person has a certification, you need proof that this person has a two-year certification in order to work in the field. He says, this is how this country works. So don't tell me Islam works anything less than that. Then you have relegated Islam to the gutters if you do this. So some ayat of the Quran need attention. Seven years, ten years, fifteen years. And we continue studying. We continue studying. Why? Because there's no end to that knowledge. This country works on that too. You have now PhD programs, and you have postdoctoral programs, and you have research programs, and you have everything under the sun, which is so far forward and advanced. Right? This is how this country works. I don't know about you. How the Muslim mind works, I don't know. For the life of me. Then there are some ayat of the Quran, although there are few, that we don't know the meanings of. There is total submission, Islam. Alif Lamim. Nobody knows the meaning of that. No You can't even speculate. All the Mufassirun say, Allah A'lamu bi muradihi bi Allah knows. We don't know. Now, just because we don't know what Alif Lamim means, doesn't mean to say we don't recite it. Do we not recite Alif Lam Mim? Your Hafiz, mashallah, when he finished in the last surah, what did he say? Alif Lam Mim. Now you go to the dictionary, understand your Arabic, go to the poets, and go to the classical Arabic archives, and you go to every alim and say, tell me what Alif Lam Mim means. And he said, I don't know. But you've studied 40, 50 years. I don't know. And that's the point. The point is you must acknowledge that you don't know that is your Islam. That is the reason for that ayah's revelation. That you don't know. Because you're not supposed to know. When Allah wants you to know on the day of judgment in Jannah, He will let you know. This is what the Quran is supra-intellectual. It is from a realm of existence that is beyond our intellect. But despite that, the Prophet ﷺ still said that uh, Alif La Mim, when you recite it, you get 30 rewards. But you don't understand them. You don't understand what Alif Lam Mim means. So the Prophet's prophetic example is just that. It is prophetic. 
He is using the example of three letters of the Quran that you don't know the meanings of to tell you the purpose of revelation is qira'ah. It is recitation. It is ibadah. Recite the Quran as an act of ibadah. Allah will reward you whether you understand it or you don't understand it. When the Imam is reciting Surah Fatiha, you think we're standing there, mashallah, and we're going through all the meanings of Alhamdulillah. Even if you recite Surah Fatiha slowly, you can't grasp the meaning. It is impossible. You have to sit down there and think about it. What does this mean? Alhamdulillah. What is Lillahi? What is Rabb? What is Alameen? And then you go into the sea. It takes years. Now that doesn't mean to say that you shouldn't learn. Come to Dharam Qasim will teach you. That's why you built the institution to teach people what the Quran means. So we're not going to say to you don't learn. We're not going to say to you don't read. We're not going to say to you don't recite. What we'll say to you is that don't jump to conclusions and say that everything in the modern world now must coincide with the Qur'an if the Qur'an is the truth. We say that's a false premise. That premise is wrong. It's the other way. That everything the Qur'an says is the truth, period. Independent of whether science agrees with it or not. Irrespective of whether the academic community likes it or not. Independent of whether your mind accepts or not, everything the Quran says is the truth. Because it is the haqq. That is your iman, that is your aqeedah, and that's the difference between our iman and the iman of the Sahaba. But the iman of the Sahaba was unconditional. It was not contextualized by time and space and by politics and by human rights and by this issue and this issue. It was uncontextualized and it was independent of the world. That we don't need the world in order to believe that Allah speaks the truth. Wallahu yaqulul haqq. Allah speaks the truth. This is the truth. Now, is there a way perhaps to reconcile some facts that the Quran mentions? Sure. But that's not the purpose of revelation. The purpose of revelation is Islam, Taslim, you acquiesce, you resign, you submit, you accept, you appreciate, and you read the Quran out of love and passion and concern for your Akhirah. That is the purpose of the word of Allah. Now, having said this, the Muslim civilization that we all, mashallah, rave about and we celebrate and we should, they did nothing except to promote the Quran. They did nothing except to enhance the Qur'an. They did nothing except to implement the Qur'an in every phase and facet of Islamic civilization. All you have is the representation of the Qur'an, representation of Wahi, representation of the word of Allah. In the Muslim civilization, we don't have time for all that. But anyway, but that's it. This is who we are and this is what we were. And we should become that. But the key is to submit. Appreciate that everything in the Quran is supra-intellectual. There's nothing more intellectual in this world than the Quran. 
No scientist, no engineer, no mathematician, no thinker, no philosopher, no military genius, no political genius. Ranks up to the level of Muhammad period. Neither in intellect nor in behavior, nor in ethics, nor in anything that he did in his life. No one measures up to Muhammad and no one measures up to the Quran. This is aqeedah. Once we have this, then we can work with it. But if Muslims feel that Islam is bichara, and Muslims feel Islam is an orphan, Muslims feel Islam is bereft in their behavior. Oh, they take it. Okay. Tarawih jaan, tarawih ke namaz ho jayega, theek hai. Hajj ko chale jayega, zakat de denge, roza rakhna chahiye, theek hai. Bishaat hai. Islam ki khidmat kare. Islam serves us, not the other way around. We don't serve Islam. Islam serves us. Islam is what guides us, what makes us who we are. So we must stop feeling sorry for Islam. Islam needs to be apologetic. Islam needs to appeal to people. No, it doesn't. Those who are in charge of representing Islam, they do that. And they do it very well, mashallah, even today. You don't have to feel so bereft and lost and abandoned and marooned on an island that I can't do anything because I am Muslim. That is again something that is false. It's a complex unfortunate that we have and we must believe that whatever the Prophet gave us is the greatest gift that any human being has ever given to any human being. And once we appreciate this in our hearts, it's, it's about appreciation. It's not about you know, your, your, your immediate action, reaction to what I'm saying is a, it's a concept, it's an idea, it's a thought, it's a world view. My world view is that there's no one more intellectual than the Prophet Muhammad period. And it's just not a world view, it's my aqidah. My world view is that the Quran is supreme and it's not a world view, it is my aqidah. Have these two thoughts in your minds all the time, and you'll see. You'll see. Unflinging. Nothing can move you, nothing can shake you, nothing will cause you to panic, or to lose hope, or to become despondent, or to go into a suicidal mode. All these diseases we have out there, mental diseases, they're there because we don't have Iman. You have Iman, Iman overrides all of these issues. This panic and stress and suicidal thoughts and ideas and God knows what. Go and talk to a psychiatrist and a psychologist. You need 10 years of training in that field before you understand what they're saying. In order to be a psychiatrist, you have to be a psychiatrist yourself. Right? So I'm saying, I mean, the, the, the knowledge is there, and that means that human knowledge continues, doesn't matter what it is. What I'm saying is that the, 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 the original message of all prophets was to believe in Allah and to believe in Wahi. That's the original message. 
Once we return to these two origins, then we are safe. We have aman, we have security. But it's mental. It's a mind game. That this person in front of me is condemning Islam and I'm not going to succumb to his condemnation because I don't have the answer or because what he says makes more sense to me at this moment. That's not how Muslims were. Muslims were the other way. I don't care what he says. Islam is the only answer to human civilization and I will find an answer. And I will find that answer and I will share that answer with that person. This is how we used to do things. I'll end with one observation. That in the correspondence of people of India, British India, pre-independence, the Madrasa of Dalam Dilwind, mashallah, would have correspondence. Letters asking for advice. What is amazing in most of those letters that were queries, questions about Islam, was the following line. Please answer in such a way that I can represent the answer to a non-Muslim. This was in their correspondence. We have records of it. So why, were, why were they thinking that way? And today we succumb to anything the media says, anything that some non-Muslim author on Islam says, and say, this non-Muslim author says this about Islam, so Islam must be crazy. That's a complex. That definitely is suicidal. And they, when they wrote to Dalum Dilban, Tomorrow Al-Qasim and other people, other luminaries, their question was phrased and framed with this in mind. I want an answer so I can represent the answer to the non-Muslim. You see the difference in the mindset? You see the difference in the approach? One is aggressive, the other is totally passive. So a Muslim's mind and mindset is aggressive. That he succumbs to war, no one and nothing in front of him. That is how you spread Islam. You can't spread Islam by being a bichara yourself. And I'm spreading Islam. What do you have to give for that? You have nothing to give. What you need to give is your Iman. Unflinching faith. That this is the Quran, it is the Haq. This is Muhammad وسلم, he is the Haq. This is Islam, this is the Haq. This is what you need to show so that you are on the right path. And you do it in a gentle way. You don't have to be uncouth. You don't have to be rude. You do it in a nice, polite way. But make sure that you are firmly rooted in your Iman so that yeah, you are carrying uh, you are carrying the responsibility of Muhammad. وسلم. We make God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give this in
insyaallah masjid uh, and may Allah subhanahu complete the masjid project of Masjid Uthman with ease and barakah and acceptance may Allah subhanahu give everybody who works for Masjid Uthman ikhlas and sincerity may Allah subhanahu accept all their efforts may Allah subhanahu forgive us on this night and may Allah subhanahu raise our ranks in the eyes of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and may Allah subhanahu inshallah give us tawfiq to do what uh, pleases him the most in such a way that when we meet him he is pleased with us and we are pleased with him ameen ya rabbal alamin wa sallallahu ala khayri khulqi muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya rahman rahim